1948, Columbia Records introduced its long play 33 and a third RPM Michael Groove record. The next year, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM record. This provided consumers with a choice between buying only the song they liked or a 45 minutes of music that required some effort to appreciate. No one could have foreseen how the longer format would make something completely new, a cohesive package of music that must be heard in full to be appreciated. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with only the hits. This is Vinyl Tap is about taking a deep dive into full albums. Tonight, we've got a big album, and I've got a question to start the show. What do you get when you take a rock superstar who is tired of being a superstar and put him on the road with a fun blue-eyed soul band and pair him up with a fantastic songwriter, make him miserable with his love for his best friend's wife, put him into a session with the world's best rhythm section and pour heroin all over the whole thing. This is Vinyl Tap. Short talks about long players. I'm here with Jonathan Rowe and Tony Slagle. We're going to be talking about Layla and other assorted love songs today. That, of course, is the album put out by the band Derek and the Dominoes. And I say the band because this is a band album. It is not an Eric Clapton with Supporting Players album. And I think that's one of the most important things to understand why this is such a good album. Uh, You could compare a Paul McCartney album with a Beatles album, and they're two completely different things. And this is completely different than anything uh, Eric Clapton ever did by himself. Now, this album came out in 1970. So Clapton started out with the uh, Yardbirds, then he went into Kareem. He was uh, touring with Blind Faith, and Delaney and Bonnie were playing. Uh, they were also on that tour, and he started hanging out with Delaney and Bonnie more than uh, his band, uh, Blind Faith. And uh, then he eventually started uh, hanging out with them full time and playing and uh, doing a tour with them. And to understand what happened on this Layla album, you need to understand that. Uh, that was a hugely influential uh, experience for Eric Clapton. He was tired of being a superstar, and he wanted to be one of the guys in the band again. And he picked up a lot from uh, Delaney and Bonnie, a lot of that switching off the singing. They call it the Sam and Dave singing, but it really, I think he got it from them. Uh, he picked up his band there and his songwriting partner. James going to talk about more of that later. This uh, this album is a soap opera, too. It has everything. Uh, Eric Clapton is in love with his best friend's wife. And if you listen to Layla, you'll understand uh, that's where the passion came from. He was completely obsessed with her. 
His best friend, by the way, is a guy who was working on an album just a little bit before this that all the same characters were on, including Eric Clapton. His name was George Harrison. And uh, it's important to remember he was in a, uh, a band before he started doing his solo work, and that made him quite a superstar. The trip with uh, the time with uh, Delaney and Bonnie uh, turned into a, uh, a band of Clapton's own. He, he pretty much took those guys that were playing backup, and that became the, the dominoes. Uh, this album is a great example of what we do here at This Is Vinyl Tap. Uh, a lot of people know the monster hit Layla, and they may know Bell Bottom Blues. They don't take a look at the rest of this uh, double album, which is a huge mistake. And the whole thing fits together really well if you understand the story that's going on behind it. Yeah, yeah. So this album uh, was one of those where there weren't a whole lot of outside players. I think um, it was really a pretty self-contained group. It was consisted of Bobby Whitlock, the great Bobby Whitlock on keyboards and backing vocals. Uh, occasionally doing some harmony vocals with Eric Clapton, and he plays acoustic guitar on a couple of tracks. Then we have the great rhythm section, the car rattle on bass, and Jim Gordon on drum. And they were kind of becoming kind of ubiquitous at the time on a lot of those albums coming out of uh, the South and, uh, you know, even on the East Coast and West Coast as well. And and then you have the master of the guitar, in my opinion, uh, Eric Clapton, uh, who's also singing a lot of the, the taking all the lead vocals and uh, one of the, probably the chief songwriter with Whitlock. And then coming to the party late, you have the great Wayne Allman on guitar, playing mostly slide guitar on this album. Um, it was recorded at the Criteria Studios in Miami, Florida. Now that's one of the oldest studios in the uh, United States. It's one. Of, it was one of the most uh, cutting edge at the time, too, even for the 20s. So that it's got a huge history. And it was run by this guy by the name of Tom Dowd, who had also worked with a lot of uh, session players on uh, in it with, on the Atlantic label. So he was kind of the go-to guy for Atlantic, and that happened to be the record label that the Almond Brothers were on. So he has kind of a pivotal role in bringing Dwayne Almond and uh, Eric Clapton together, and we'll talk about that a little later in the podcast here. Um, the guitars on this album really are what make this album sound unique, in my opinion. There's not a whole lot of pyrotechnics going on. There's no, not a whole lot of studio effects on the albums. There's not a lot of wah-wahs. There's, I mean, even the distortion doesn't seem to be coming from any sort of uh, artificial means. Uh, one of the more interesting things about this recording is that Clapton used a 5-watt tweed uh, Fender Champ amp. And for those of you who know about guitar amps, Five watts is not a whole lot. 
you know, your, your typical uh, amp that you take on stage is about a hundred watt amp. This is a little five watt amp. And so I think that gives this, especially uh, Clapton's guitar playing its unique sound. It sounds a lot more compressed. fat i think than you would get out of something like a blues junior or fender blues deluxe all right tony um we understand that this might not be in your top 10 we've heard rumors to that effect so i i think this is the perfect album for what we're trying to do on this podcast because i i'll be honest with you for the longest time was one of those guys that just heard the song and didn't dig into the album because of that and I'll be honest with you, I do not like the title track of this album at all. <laughs> I find it to be tedious. I don't know how you write a song with a four-minute outro. I mean, just tedious as all get out to me. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Dwayne Allman's on this album because I feel the same way about the Allman Brothers, to be honest with you. I find them really tedious as well. That's not to say I don't appreciate the musicianship at all because I do. It's just not my cup of tea. That being said, it is a really bad idea not to dig into this album deeper because there are, it, there are great songs on it. And to, to, to piggyback on something you said earlier, Doug, it's got a cohesiveness to it that you wouldn't really, I guess, think about if you didn't actually get into it and dig into it some. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff on here that, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a blues guy, so that's, that's one reason why I don't jump on this in the way. I, country blues I like. This kind of blues, not so much. You don't like the Allman Brothers? No, sir. You don't like blues? No, sir. Is there anything about America you like? <laughs> uh, uh, sure, I consider uh, the I consider the Birds one of the greatest American bands ever, so there you go. That's because they sound British. I'm a big Dylan fan. Uh, I like Springsteen. Uh, Keep going. I was just teasing. Yeah, I know, I know. Anyway, um... But, uh, you know, so there's things, I mean, you know, this is, uh, this album, uh, I think on initial listen is not going to appeal to someone with my kind of my leanings towards certain types of music. Right. But there are some, there are some great tracks on it. And again, in, in, uh, the nice thing about doing this, this, this podcast is I, I kind of getting geared up for it the whole, the whole time beforehand, I listened to the album and I listened to it a lot. I listened to it over and over again. And I found myself listening to this album and not feeling that way about the majority of it. Of course, every time Layla came on, I'd hit the skip button because that song drives <laughs> me batty. Um, but, uh, but man, it's got some great tracks on it. And again, it, it, towards like the last couple of listens to it, I've, I was feeling the cohesion. It really, it's, a, it's an album. Uh, I will say this about it as well, though. 
You know, your average, uh, I think you can stick 40 minutes of music on the side of an LP. There's no reason this thing needs to be a double album. That also seems a little a little much for me, but, you know, I'll, I'll leave that at that. Because um, I think, what, there's three songs on each side? Is that is that what the uh, breakdown is? Little little um, little strange, but that's we're not here to talk about yeah. that necessarily. Yeah. But but the music is is uh, you know like I said, there's some there's some fantastic songs on this album. It it does ho- hold together really well. Um, you know there are some songs that 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 I, I have to I have to really kind of it stretches my willingness to to listen to it. But if uh, if I don't if I don't strain too hard, they'll slide by and then the next thing will kick in and then I enjoy myself. But I think uh, I think "Keep On Growing" is an amazing song. That song has a fantastic story. All these guys were jamming all the time. They had incredible studio time. There's there's hours and hours of the tape of them just jamming. Anyway, one of the jams they were doing was what became. Uh, keep on growing and uh they somebody shouted out well let's put that one in the can yeah, but bobby whitlock said no 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 he loved it so he took his <laughs> pad and his pen and went into the hallway and he says in 20 minutes he had the um the lyrics written out for that song and he came back and taught him to uh clapton and that's they did the uh, Sam and Dave deal, switching off uh, verses, and uh, that's one of the songs on this album where Dwayne's not playing. Oh, um, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the uh, Dwayne is is not there yet, but um, Eric Clapton lays down five guitar parts on that. Wow. So for, wow. for years, I thought it was Dwayne and um, Eric fighting it out on the lead guitar, but it's actually Eric and Eric fighting it out on the lead guitar. And <laughs> Bobby Whitlock says he was he couldn't figure out how Clapton was able to make those tracks fit together the way he was doing it without even hearing some of the other ones. Um, but uh, I got to I got to say, uh, that's my favorite song on the album. Um, well, it's mine too. It's mine too. It's it's just a great song, but it's also, I mean, it's um, it's got it's catchy as hell. It's kind of it's, it hits me in my yeah. in terms of most of this stuff, it hits me right in the spot I like, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you hear I don't know how you hear that song and say put that in the can and and just uh, you know, <laughs> that blow, that blows my mind. Yeah. Well, um, you know, that this is a good way for me to talk about one of my theories on this on this album. Everybody talks about how Dwayne Allman's guitar plan pushed Eric Clapton. Uh, he, it caused him to push himself to a new level. And uh, that, that, that may be true. I, I don't know. But I, I, I think that Bobby Whitlock's singing pushed Clapton's singing to a level yeah. it had never been in, on before. And I don't, I don't know if he's ever sung like that again. But um, I don't. A lot of people say Clapton the singing is competent. I think it's good. I think it's really good. I think it's real passionate, and it matches the songs really well. One of the problems I think that you get with um, great guitar players is people ignore their singing, and they'll ignore their songwriting. Both of those have happened to Clapton. 
I, I agree with you. I think Clapton's voice is not, it's more than serviceable. It's good. I like his voice a lot. I mean, the same thing, you're right about, it's interesting you say that about guitarists. I feel the same way about Hendrix. I think people don't I do think, too. I think Hendrix has a great voice. Yep. Um, yeah. And uh, and, and it, I think people dismiss it because they just think of him as a guitarist. Yeah, Clapton's voice on this album is great. Um, you know, you know what's interesting? I, 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 I thought this was a, a kind of a one time deal uh with the zombies odyssey and oracle and that it was it was recorded released and then wasn't a hit until much later that's the same story with this album this album was a commercial dud when it came out and then a couple of years later they actually you know they actually released a a truncated version of the single that didn't have the piano outro on it it's just the first part of it um that and that that didn't take off until they added that back in yeah, and it, and it was added and it was added to a I think a Clapton's greatest hits or something like that, and then people started going back and and revisiting the album, and now the album is considered a classic by so many people. But uh, it was also added, oddly enough, added to a, a an Allman Brothers album too, like greatest hits album too, around the same time, around '72. But uh, that's what got the album, this album, its recognition because people started going back and you know, you're in the '70s, so people weren't quite as averse to listening to full albums as they are now. Um, and then when you hear some of the stuff that Carl Rattle is doing on the bass, I mean, I guess I've never really paid that much attention to the bass playing on this album, but it, it is fantastic. It is just, it's the, and they're Jim Gordon's so they're just Carl Rattle and Jim Gordon are just so, so tight, but I just never realized how good a bass player Carl Rattle was. Clapton along on this because he just kind of felt like he didn't have to carry the rhythm section maybe I think that when you're used to working with Jack Bruce who's basically a lead bass player you have a hard time just kind of finding your space in there and I think that it's a collaborative album it's definitely a guitar album it is a just a master guitar album so I just I know we're talking about the album here but I do find it interesting the whole idea that uh the first part of Clapton's career, he was always a member of a band. He didn't like, I mean, it was odd. He wasn't, you know, growing up, you think Eric Clapton, Eric Clapton, but he was, I mean, blind faith cream, you know, I mean, he was, he was always, always part of a band. I mean, blind faith's a super group, but still, he was still part of, it was still a band. You know, he wasn't the star of the band. He's, he's always trying to seek the shadows. If you see him live in concert, it's, he's not really like a front man. He's always trying to back up, and uh, he's got other guys out there playing guitar. And uh, this whole thing with Delaney and Bonnie, that was his effort to uh, get himself a little bit out of that. And and even the name um, Derek and the Dominoes was an attempt to uh, not have it Eric Clapton and the other guys uh in fact, that's one of the reasons they didn't sell it as well as uh, they initially anticipated. I want, I want to say something about Dwayne Allman and an interesting story about how he came into this. Um, Eric Clapton heard Dwayne Allman play uh, Hey Jude, play the guitar on Hey Jude for Wilson Pickett. And when he heard that guitar, he just went crazy for it. And he hollered across the room, who's playing that? Um, and then, you know, Several several years later, he's down there in uh, Miami, and uh, Dwayne finds out from his producer that Clapton's in the studio, and Dwayne says, "Can I just come by and see him?" And uh, the he said the uh, Almond Brothers are playing down there tonight in Miami, and 
Uh, and then Clapton finds Clapton says, who was that? And he says, Dwayne Elman. He goes, the guy on the Wilson Pickett record. And he goes, Gosh. we got to go see the show. <laughs> so 20, I guess it's 23 year old Dwayne Almonds on the back of a, a flatbed trailer. And the Almond brothers who are not a big deal yet are playing a show. And he's got his eyes closed playing a lead. And he opens up, and there's Eric Clapton sitting on the grass in front of him. Oh, wow. His lead <laughs> stops right there. <laughs> and they said he the same can't thing. do yeah, anything. And uh, <laughs> it ends up that they go back to the studio that night and jam all night long. And uh, uh, so Dwayne wants to come watch the rest of the record, and Clapton says, no, no, you're playing on this record. And that's how that happened. If you listen to some isolated uh, guitar parts from uh, this this record, it's really interesting to hear those two play against each other. I, I want to say one other thing about Bobby Whitlock, too. Um, I think Bobby Whitlock uh, improved Clapton's singing by doing the Sam and Dave thing with him and, and getting him a little fired up, maybe. She's gone. think that uh the songwriting those two collaborating for a long time before they even got in the studio that was really a very successful combination and uh i don't know what happened between um eric clapton and bobby whitlock i read eric clapton's biography and bobby whitlock is only mentioned once and it's something about going to pick someone up at the airport so there's something happened there that kind of uh brought that to an end but that's that uh songwriting team is the best songs that clapton's ever had anything to do with writing you know it's funny um bobby whitlock says in an interview someplace that um he was sitting around after uh after he'd completed some dates with delaney and bonnie and uh he was not really sure what to do and uh he had steve cropper over at his house you know steve cropper from uh yeah Booker T and the Blues Brothers and all those yeah. yeah. And so Steve Cropper said, uh, hey, why don't you give Eric a call and tell him you want to come down and visit for a couple of days, you know, just tell him what's going on. And he did, and then this this is what transpired from that, <laughs> that conversation. <laughs> so we uh, you know, you can thank uh you can thank Steve Cropper for getting uh, Bobby Whitlock and uh and, and Eric I mean they knew each other obviously, but getting them together on this particular yeah. JM and I had a great experience with uh, Bobby Whitlock. He lived in Austin for a while, and yeah. he was playing every Sunday night, early enough for old guys to go, and uh, at, down at the Saxon. So we decided, well, let's go pay our respects. I'm sure it won't be a very good show. <laughs> I'm sure that he'll just sit there and talk about me and Clapton, me and Clapton, and he'll play some songs, and it will be, you know, some. We got down there, and that guy tore it up. And he was ripping yeah. an acoustic guitar to pieces. He was ripping a piano to pieces. And it was passion and everything that you hear on that album. And then yeah. and then he's got his wife with him, uh, Coco, and they're thinking, oh, well, she's just seeing some cute backups or something like that. And then she's tearing the guitar up, and then she's tearing <laughs> she the saxophone up. And it was just a, an amazing just, show. Uh, One person who gets zero credit on this album that deserves at least partial songwriting credit is um uh, patty boyd um 
She got clapped and so fouled up. Yeah, you know, you know what happens to these singer-songwriters when they get happy? It's yeah. over. Yeah, <laughs> they start putting out uh, lawyers in love and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, it's their career is over once they're happy. But she got him so miserable uh, yeah. that he really reached deeper than ever before, and uh, he really reached deeper than. Um, he ever did since. It's a nice story. He broke up uh, George Harrison's marriage and married her. Apparently, George Harrison didn't mind so much. He was, I think he was probably yeah, thinking of moving on himself. But um, they had a 10-year marriage that was uh, very problematic, and then uh, that ended. And uh, But she should get a little bit of credit for this album. Well, you know, and it was soon after this album was made that Clapton took that famous three-year hiatus where everybody was scared that he was going to go off the deep end. You read his biography, and you can't believe that all the people around him are dead now. And uh, he's the only one that's still alive. But speaking of that, um, of course, Dwayne Allman died a year after this album was right. made uh, in a right. motorcycle wreck. And then um, Carl Rattle died yeah. in the early 80s. From like 34 alcohol. years old. What did he yeah. have? A kidney problem? And then he died uh, of a kidney problem brought on by alcoholism and heroin. Let that then, be a lesson to you, kids. Yeah, Jim Gordon, I think. Didn't Jim Gordon kill his mom or something yep. like that? Yeah, Jim Sin Gordon killed his mom. He he had schizophrenic. Uh, yeah. And he thought his mom was telling him stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's one other story I think is worth sneaking in here. Uh, Tony's favorite song, Layla, ends with a long piano piece. And uh, Jim Gordon is credited with that piano piece. Uh, it, apparently Clapton walked into the studio and he was playing that and uh, uh, they decided to put it on at the end of Layla with Dwayne doing all these little bird noises on his guitar that I'm sure Tony hates. Um, it's one of my <laughs> favorite things to listen to in the whole world. But then again, I love America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, There's controversy around that. Jim Gordon was dating Rita Coolidge. Right, right, time. right. And uh, later, uh, she claimed that she had written that, and he stole it. So. Well, actually, what, what she says is the two of them were collaborating on it, and Clapton actually heard it before he walked in on the... I mean, there's some, there's some you know, sketchiness around the stories, but she and Jim were writing it, and uh, they put it on a, it was called The song was called Time, I think, Time yeah. something or other. And they played it for Clapton, hoping he'd cover it, and he said, eh, whatever, they put it away. And then either he forgot in some sort of heroin-induced haze or whatever, but he heard... He heard him uh, uh, just playing it on the piano and then wanted to add it on. But uh, yeah, she, I don't think she ever claimed outright that she wrote it. I think she claimed she co-wrote it with her boyfriend at the time. But there's a there's a funny story about that. She evidently went up to Eric Clapton's manager, who was Robert Stigwood. Yeah. <laughs> and if you know anything about him, he was kind of infamous. And uh, and she, she said uh, she was, you know, harping about wanting some song credit or something like that. And he said... Uh, you're going to go up against Stiggy, the Robert Stigwood organization. Who do you think you are? A girl singer? You know, just making <laughs> her feel like. 
<laughs> you know, back back in the seventies, you'd get away with that kind of stuff, I guess. But well, uh, it's a it's a album. It's definitely worth your time checking out. And uh, I know a little bit about what uh, Tony's talking about regarding uh, jams that are too long. And also, I'm very sensitive to uh, classic rock songs that you've been hearing since sixth grade. And you keep hearing them over and over and over and over again where you just can't stand it anymore. And yeah. I'm, I'm afraid that's happened to Layla where uh, people can't hear it with fresh ears. But uh, definitely the rest of the album deserves your uh, attention. I was just going to say I agree with that. I think you're doing yourself a disservice, even if you don't like all of it, not taking a deep dive into that album because there's some really great stuff on it. Speaking of Tony, uh, <laughs> you've done a pretty good job of keeping us up to date on uh, music lately. Do you have anything for us today? Yeah, yeah, I do, Doug. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um I thought I'd talk about this guy. Um, his name is Joshua Headley. Either one of you heard of him? I have. Yeah. I've heard of Headley up in the panhandle. but Yeah, Joshua Headley put out an album called Mr. Jukebox. And uh, and it is, uh, if you're a fan of 1960s honky tonk, it, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll do it for you. It's, um, right. It actually sounds, it's not, it doesn't sound derivative of that time. It sounds like it fell out of a time machine from the 1960s voice is great the album's great all of the all of the originals are on it are, are really great he ends it with uh the old disney standard you know uh would wish upon a star song which is kind of an odd choice but uh other than that the the album is really really good i mean i really recommend checking it out it's it's fantastic um his name again joshua headley and the album's called mr jukebox not a lot of kids know what the jukebox does anymore they just Use their iPads. Yeah, right? yeah. You know the jukebox did play forty-five singles, Tony. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for tonight's show. Next week we have our first ever album war, where we're going to be picking two classic albums by the late David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust versus Hunky Dory. As always, please give us a shout out on our new Facebook page or look us up on Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. We also have an email address. It's tappingvinyl, one word, at gmail.com. Feel free to leave us a note or tell us some albums you'd like for us to uh, lambast. For our host, Doug Cooper, and our co-host, Tony Schlegel, and me, your producer, Jonathan Rowe. This is Vinyl Tech.